previously on Popping Collars. And what about you, Betsy? Do you want to get us started? I always get us started. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's because your name is first alphabetically. It is. You're the first person I see on the screen. That's part of <laughs> and that's why I pay extra to Google Hangouts. <laughs> <laughs> Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of faith and popular culture. My name is Betsy Gonzalez, and I serve here at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, as head chaplain. And with me tonight are two of my co-hosts. First, Greg. Greg Knight, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. Uh, I am the director of Children and Youth Ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea down here in Palm Beach, Florida. Poppin' Collars is always my favorite, my favorite version of the show. Poppin', <laughs> for sure. All right, well then, let's get to old Liz. There's Liz. Liz, how are you? Where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And um, our diocesan convention, which we stubbornly call our annual council, is this week. So, in fact, when this episode goes to air, we will be driving to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, for our annual gathering of the diocese. Ooh. Wow. And so you have towns that are able to, like, hold people, like hotels and, like, stuff and things? <laughs> we do. A, no, we I do. mean, you know, I mean, that's always such a consideration. <laughs> it is. But Nebraska has towns that are big enough to hold. <laughs> like, like, a meeting space where everybody can be. I mean, I don't know. Nebraska, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bishop Barker. I'm just yeah. apologizing. Yeah, I didn't mean okay. to insinuate that you didn't have <laughs> understand. <to help. laughs> you have okay. electricity there, Liz. Are you able yeah. to like automobiles? <laughs> yeah, we moved seamlessly from sepia to black and white to color very recently. <laughs> yeah. oh, we're doing great. Oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. All right. Just one tumbleweed rolling by. All right, so all right, but so finally. We have our special guest returning to the show. He's been on a couple of times. Friend of Pod, Burl Salmon. Burl, hey. where are you? What are you up to? Burl Salmon, and the Associate for Pastoral Care Outreach and Christian Education at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, where I have the great pleasure of working with Greg Knight. Yay. And we are heading to Diocesan Convention this week, too, Liz. So, so we're all going to be praising the Lord at the same time. Amen. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, good stuff. My friends, we are eking ever closer to episode 100, but this is episode 94 of Pop and Collars. And for today's topic, we are right at the tip of what is new, taking a look at a limited series that only has three episodes currently out of the full eight that are going to be a part of the body of this work. And all of them are long. They're kind of like these mini encapsulated movies. And it is the new series by Mad Men creator Matthew Weiner. It is the Romanoffs currently playing on Amazon Prime. And it is a trippy, fascinating, sometimes frustrating look at the story of the Romanoffs, Russia's opulent royal family, one of the richest in the world at their height. And they ruled Russia for over 300 years. And then the reign of the Romanovs came to a tragic and vicious halt in the heat of the Bolshevik revolution in the summer of 1918, when the Royal family 
was gunned down and assassinated. God's chosen leaders on earth, as they saw it. So this series kind of takes an interesting look at this story. So we see stories of descendants of the Romanov family. We see what the name kind of means and plays off. We get to kind of see how a dramatic retelling of the story um, plays out. Uh, so these these three episodes so far are all very different from one another. So I know some of us have watched more or less of the show, but kind of based off of what you've seen so far, what has really struck you, stood out to you about it? There's a lot going on visually, storytelling, the actors are awesome, but I'm really curious kind of what has grabbed your attention. Burl, let's start with you. What, what, what have you thought about, about these first episodes? You know, I think the thing that hangs with me is the idea that does the past live on? Uh, I mean, the, the whole idea of the Romanovs is this, this, this reigning royal family that, of course, met a tragic end. Um, and they're mythologized and they're storied. And there's, there's the, the story of, of um, the perhaps Anastasia. Um, and so there's this, there's this mythology that lives in all of our culture that helps us um, tie to something that, where we've never been. So we've never been royal, um, especially in, in, in the U.S. So we are always fascinated by this sort of study of the royals. And here is the most tragic royal family there is. And how does it come down to us? In what form do we still hold on to something that was? Um, is it through an egg, um, a Fabergé egg? Is it through a bloodline? Um, is it real? Is it not real? Um, what does that look like? So I'm, I'm fascinated by how the past is revisited in the present. I think this the show kind of is not what I expected, which is great. You know, I know a lot of ways it's better than I expected. I didn't know that each episode would be its own individual short film, basically, all different with all different genres. So it's hard for me to tell yet what the through line is other than the Romanovs and their descendants. But I, I think that what struck me was that in each of these stories, the family line is very important in how people understand themselves. And in other ways, it's really not important at all. Like each of these characters, we meet them in the midst of their own interpersonal conflicts, their own struggle with meaning. And um, in some ways, the fact that they are linked to this family history is inconsequential. It doesn't matter that much. So I'm interested to see how it plays off. And of course, there's a lot of humor about it too. Like, Especially when you find yourself on a Romanoff family cruise. Right. <laughs> weirdness in that. There's a horse on a... Just what's, what's, the, what's the line that the guy has at the table? Is We're from the Sarasota Romanoffs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I immediately thought of you and Burl. Because um, I'm sure there's got to be some Palm Beach Romanoffs. Right? There might be. There might be. There might be. When I first saw the show and I saw that it was a follow-up to uh, – it was Matthew Weiner's follow-up to Mad Men and that he was using a lot of the same actors that he had for Mad Men. I think I finally – by the time Mad Men wrapped up, I finally got a sense of what Matthew Weiner was trying to go for with that show, which is basically kind of a long story about how how did we get here, like in our nation's history? Like how did we get to the point where we're being advertised to – 24 hours a day and um, everything feels marketed and everything feels slick and everything feels corporate. How we inherit sin, I think is kind of the, 
point of that show, or at least that's the point that I took away from that show. You know, when, when we just hear story after story of, you know, those who have getting more and those who don't have having less, um, it smacks of that, wait, how do we create systems that benefit 1%? Like, where does that even come from? Like, how do we even do that as human beings? And, um, and having the opportunity to sort of follow this through line of the wealthy family, right? The Romanovs, what would be the legacy of that today? Right. Mm. Um, And who would these people be? Who would be descendants of this? The Romanovs next to the Manson family are my favorite murder, right? They're, they're the, (laughs) so I've done, I'll watch any documentary. I'll research it. I'll do, you know, so I got into like the Victoria show and mm-hmm. then was started Wikipediaing everybody and seeing how, oh my God, all of the whole of Europe is related to Queen mm-hmm. Victoria. Yeah. All of all of this kind of intermingling, you know, that kind of royal obsession stuff too that you were talking about, Burl. I've appreciated the fact that each of these are so different from each other. I think that's what I've really loved. I've, and I've loved how they're shot. They're just beautiful. Mm, they are like beautiful. The cinematography is really yeah. cool. Um just the way it can kind of rest on sumptuousness, mm-hmm. which you would think isn't as much present in the second show because you're contrasting this kind of sad suburban kind of life. But then you get on the boat and then it's just, you know, fabric and color and uniforms and dresses and, you know, all. And, and so they each kind of have that element happening in them. But I think also for me, the idea that, looking at the Romanovs as a story, the original story as being something that was so long ago mm-hmm. is actually not that long ago. I'm just curious about this idea of hanging your identity on the last dynasty. Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, like what, what does that mean for us right now as Americans, it does feel a lot of the times like Rome is falling you know, that um, separation between the rich and the poor that you mentioned, Greg, is so great. Kind of the blood sport of our entertainment, all of it. So it's interesting to just think, for me to think that if someone thought, if it brought you a lot of meaning about who your family was, that it was the last dynasty, the last royal people of a particular area. Like, what does that mean for you? Why, why would you hold on to that? Betsy, you're right. This is a this is a murder of a family that happened a hundred years ago. A hundred years isn't that long, mm-hmm. right? That's not that's not very long ago. Um, you know, the fall of Rome. It always makes me think, though, that you know, Rome falls when you when as a Roman, you're probably least expecting it to. You know, like the thing about society and the thing about culture is that you can never really anticipate you know, when it's going to be over for you. And to think that the Russian revolution just basically sweeps through and rewrites the entire history of that country over the last century, um, because the decadence got to the point that it was unacceptable by the Mm -hmm. populace. You would never know that if you were in the seat of power. 
I think the other aspect of this thing that really gets me going is the Rasputin angle. I got to admit, I'm just, you know, it's, he touches my love of cults a little bit, right? <laughs> my love of the megalomaniac leader. So uh, this is tying I into had, your Manson thing. Uh, yes. Oh, totes. <laughs> yeah. Crazy eyes mm-hmm. for days, right? Mm-hmm. Like all over it. This relationship between the church and the family and the divine right of ruling and what that can kind of look like in that time period. And I'm wondering whether any of the episodes are going to talk some about that angle of it. You know, I'm, I, we, we've, we've hit on this, but this reminds me of a Faulkner line. Mm-hmm. We mythologize the past and we do a lot with the past. And mm-hmm. um, in Requiem for the Nun, uh, he writes the line, the past is never dead. It's not even past. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we we never shake it, but what we do is we adapt it, or we mythologize it, or we change it, or we we keep reliving it in our own ways, or or whatever the case. But a um, hundred years, as you say, is no distance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's within photography. I mean, if you think about it as a, as a documentary art form, photography existed, which is one of the things we know about that, that family is that they're, they're photographed. And so we know them as people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it makes it really present. We can see the people who died. Um, we can see how they look like the English Royals, which we identify with. So there's, so there's this weird sort of, they're, they're exotic, but yet they're one of us. And then maybe are they still with us? And, and the idea of the, the continuous thread through history um, and how it comes down. Um, do we inherit it? What do we do with it? Cause it's not dead. It's not gone. And how does that past still inform us? Um, we're, 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 we're still fighting these battles. The rich are still getting rich. The poor are still getting poorer. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of the, the middle class that they reference, you know, what's happening to the middle class in episode one yes. doesn't even exist because none of this is new. None of this is new. I, I, I think that the, the interesting thing about the past is never dead is that, um, you know, you carry some of the, some of the problems of the past with you. I think that that's what I loved about that first episode was how, how they carry the racism of Europe and all of that stuff Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. with them into, Mm -hmm. into 2018 stuff that probably should have been dead and buried in 1918. The dialogue between the two of them, you know, Hajar, whose name is very close to Hagar, which is, which which Aaron Eckhart calls her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this woman who's sent out and sent away and but is still this ancient link to that draws us all together right through through Abraham. I found that fascinating. But just that here, let me run you through Muslim Christian um, issues through, you know, breakfast, breakfast pastry. You know, I was mm-hmm. that was amazing. Liz, what mm-hmm. were you going to say? I was going to say the reason that they want that apartment is not because they're connected to the wealth of the Romanovs or that they care about that. It's because they can't afford to live in Paris. Right. Who can? Exactly. And I think that that's the reality that so many Americans are living with today, that when they have that dinner party with their friends in that episode and their friends are reflecting on how they live in a smaller apartment than they grew up in, their children don't have the same opportunities that they had. And um, when I visit other cities that have a different housing economy, certainly than my city does. I'm just amazed by the wealth disparity. How, how can you possibly afford to live in some of these places? And yet we all kind of walk around as if that's normal. 
who can live in San Francisco, which is oh. so funky, right? Like San Francisco is the place where everybody could live. And now, right. and right. Seattle is that way. I mean, that's where I grew up. It's a completely changed city. When I visit New York, you know, it's the same. And of course, there are lots of cities like that. And then even smaller and mid-sized cities have their own version of it. But, um, you know, she had let that apartment become a museum in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. For her, it meant so much for the history of their family, which was a tragic history that included the Nazi occupation of Paris and um, her son's and the death. death. Of her son. yeah. 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 It meant so much to her, but to her nephew and his girlfriend, it meant a place to live. You know, it's, it, it's funny because what it made me think of was um, uh, when Brene Brown talks about scarcity and how, you know, how we're mm-hmm. desperate to like hold on to what we have. And like, we, mm-hmm. we act as if like the world is full of scarcity, like scarce resources that we have to scramble mm-hmm. for. And that the gospel is all about abundance. But for poor people, it there is scarcity. Right. You know, like like Brene Brown is a middle and upper middle class gospel that you can tell yourself, I can tell myself, and I do, you know, I struggle mm-hmm. with this and I try to live into this that, um, you know, yes, I live with abundance. I do. Um, if I was poor in America or anywhere else in the world, I would be hustling and scrambling for what I couldn't get. And so the gospel also tells us that, yes, we have abundance, but also Jesus prefers the poor. And for those of us who are not poor, we have a real invitation is a gentle way to say it, you know, to, to stand alongside them. So this this show is coming out on Amazon right now. Ballyhooed, probably, you know, because it's a pretty prestigious like piece of art. That first episode, I mean, it's hard to film something in Paris and get bad shots anyway. But right. that first episode is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like the shots that they get of Paris are incredible. And so you have this show which feels very slick and polished and produced. And it has like this kind of feel of decadence and richness and opulence to it a little bit, you know, as far as the kind of actors that they get and the length of the show and all of that. You couple the reality of this show with the fact that the number one show on television as of last week was The Connors, which was the Roseanne spinoff, which was very much in the news for being like, Oh my gosh, this is great. We finally have like working class television again for people to watch. And it makes me wonder when you were, when you used the word silo before, I wonder if we could kind of do that with our entertainment a little bit too. Like we create entertainment that's mass entertainment and we create entertainment that's elite entertainment. And it makes me wonder about how those two communities talk to each other. But guys, you know, what is the Romanoffs about? Yeah. The, the, I mean, the premise is like, here are a bunch of stories about people who are related to the yes. Romanov family, but why? Yes. My guess is that it's all really intentional based off of where we are right now. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really intentional based off of the president that we have, the siloing that we're experiencing, how we're separated from one another, you know, that the Romanovs, when you really look at the letters and the, the isolation that they were under and just, just all of that there was you know weren't they like corrupt we accidentally shot people at this protest this was bad oh no and 
you know, what were you going to say, Liz? Weren't they like corrupt though? They were living under a system that they <laughs> created. <laughs> I mean, like, that was the way the world worked. I mean, right, but I mean, I'm just, you know, it was, it was a populist revolution that that murdered them and brought the end of their dynasty. Yes. <laughs> so, but, but I think it was, it's when we're talking about in our society right now, tearing down structures mm-hmm. that everyone just assumes that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. This is the way the prison system works, or this is the way the education works, or this is the way. <laughs> you know how i don't know whatever but i think that they were living in the same way this is just the way the world works and we're we're the romanoff family divinely chosen and we're just doing our job this is our duty i think that uh i think that class is one of those things that is such a huge motivator for people's actions in this country because what money and social status mean our opportunity for so many people. The opportunity of wealth is is such a strong pull on our lives, I think. And Greg, I would actually add to that, and I've, I've, I talk a lot about this, um, is that w- while we are supposedly a classless society in the United States, we have no peer system in this country, we are in fact extraordinarily stratified, but we don't know a language to talk about it very well. Mm-hmm. And it informs everything that we do. Um, and while we can say it doesn't exist, it absolutely exists and it exists like you're talking about. And I think one of the, one of the problems that we have is that we don't have the skill to speak about it and we get wrapped up in it. Um, and we, um, we argue and it pits one side against the other side. And it's a further stratification because we don't have words to talk about a class system in the United States. Yes. Agreed. We're talking about privilege more now than maybe we have right. before, but, but that's, yep. di- that's different. Is it? Part of the criticism that I heard after the election is poor white people rejecting this notion of having to check their privilege. And it's like, don't, don't tell me that, you know, let me tell you about how I, can't get a job or you know whatever whatever and there are so many intersecting um planes i guess of privilege that we all inhabit at different times and are advantaged by in different ways even when we don't want to be another additional layer to the show is that it's russian like it's it's about a russian family right Um, yeah i think it's right which i think is a significant piece of information in our Uh current culture today because it it draws in a little bit of that sort of othering enemy, all of that sort of, you know, stuff that we layer sort of that Russian label onto. Right. Well, that's the angry Russians that killed this family, Greg. That's who you're talking about. <laughs> you're talking about the glorious time before that when everything was great. I'm sorry. I'm confused. And we were all friends. Where, where are we on Russia these days? <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like the Jonathan Van Ness uh, podcast. Is Russia cute right now? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> Is it? Um, well, they they haven't assassinated anybody at their consulate lately, as far as we know. Yeah, attention. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. 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 Greg, I I agree with you there. It is also this. You know, when you talk about a country holding on to its storied history too. You know, you watch Russia 
do that with itself at the time. Oof. The Russian backdrop of this is is definitely one of those things. I remember I remember Liz actually to your point about you know the narrative coming out of 2016 being disenfranchised white voters. I remember specifically someone on my Facebook page saying Russia didn't tell me who to vote for. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like like that all of that is on top of each other and is woven mm-hmm. through like how people are having conversations with each other and talking over each other and talking past each other and talking beyond each other. I think you're right, bro. I think I think communication is such a key part. That's why I'm all against Facebook right now. And again, I'm not going to get into it here on this podcast. <laughs> You're trying to get into it. Okay, it's then. too complicated and it's too large a conspiracy theory. But it does feel like when I feel like when we talk about talking about politics, we're really talking about Facebook. And we're all a little embarrassed mm. to say that. You know, mm. because I don't believe, I do not believe that most people are actually having these hard conversations with people with whom they disagree interpersonally some of us are you know and occasionally but i think that a lot of times when we talk about talking about this we're really referring to something we saw on facebook and you know someone actually said we we were talking this having this conversation at church with civil discourse and um yesterday someone was saying how um she actually has seen friends of hers begin to say this is not a conversation I want to have on Facebook. I'd love to private message. Can we continue the conversation that way when you live at some distance with one another? Or can we meet for coffee? Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to hash out these yelling points um, on social media. So there is a there is a, a modicum of awareness that, that we're beginning to have. But I think you're exactly right. It's that, it's Social media is no place for conversation. It's just a place for posing. Mm-hmm. Bumper mm-hmm. stickers. Yep. It's a place to post your bumper sticker. to the point in the show where we like to offer a little staff pick, a little piece of media of some variety that that one of our hosts is consuming and wants to recommend to the rest of us and to you. So Liz, you have a pick tonight. What have you got? I do. Thanks, Betsy. Um, and I'm very excited. My pick is a book and I've been geeking <gasps> out on um, BookTube lately. Does anyone else watch what? BookTube? No. It's YouTube channels about books. And book reviews by Nerds. people who are so fun. I love it so much. Anyway, so I feel like I am hosting my own little book tube right now. And so the book that I just read is a great book. I'm going to show you guys the cover as you can see it, but our listeners can't. Called The Golden State by Lydia Kiesling. And I want to, I should do a little preface saying that I know Lydia Kiesling in real life, only sort of. So like, this is sort of like a friend staff pick, a good friend of my friend, Hannah. And it's really lovely. It's a, it's a novel about, it's like perfect for our times about um, a woman who is the mother to a two-year-old child. She's married to a Turkish man who visits Turkey for uh, a work event. And on his way back, his green card is confiscated and he is exiled back to Turkey. And they're just, the context is they're constantly trying to get him home, 
But meanwhile, she's left as a single parent. And one day she's sort of fed up with work and she decides to pick her daughter up from daycare and take her to a family home that she inherited in a small town in Northern California. That's like a trailer in a trailer park. And while she's there, she encounters um, a secessionist group who wants to um, create their own state uh, in the in the state of California, because you know they're tired of the rest of California stealing their resources and they have to pay taxes on them and stuff. Um, and it's sort of her coming to terms with her life as a woman in her 30s, parenting a small child. She eventually meets a much older woman, so there's some sort of reflection that happens um, in that friendship. And what I was struck by is this description of parenting a small child that felt so real to me as a person who doesn't have children. It was a great mirror of a time in life where part of you just wants your child to leave you alone and go to sleep and you kind of hate them. And then part of you loves them more than you can ever imagine and longs for their body to be near your body. And like this incredible intensity of both of those things. Like, I love you and please go to bed. I love you. (laughs) Stop touching me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of reflections about that that was just really compelling. And the prose is beautiful. Um, The sort of cultural stuff about xenophobia and Islamophobia and rural communities. And there's one beautiful scene where she visits, she takes her daughter to visit a little Episcopal church in a very small town. And as it's leading up to that scene, I'm thinking like, oh, here we go. Episcopalians screwing it what's up. She, what's she gonna say about like this Father small town? Gabriel and the Walking Dead screwing right, it up. Which, right, which like my, you know, the communities that I worship with most often are really small Episcopal churches in small towns, and um, mm-hmm. she nailed it. <laughs> she no, it. Right. totally nailed it. It wasn't. It, you mean the priest wasn't like sitting in a pew waiting for someone to walk through the door so that they could have. No, the, the, pri- the priest wasn't there because he, you know, visited a bunch of congregations. So they were doing morning prayer, and it was, you know, five people, and they knew why so and so wasn't there, and they were beautifully welcoming and awkward, nice. and it was perfect. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So the Golden State by Lydia Kiesling. Meanwhile, check out BookTube. It's a delight. This is like a two for staff pick. The the book and the sword. But thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for for a little recommendation. Two parter. I like it. Books. Uh, Well, thank you all so much for for joining us for this episode of Pop and Colors. You can find Pop and Colors wherever you get your podcast needs met SoundCloud, Stitcher, all sorts of things. Spotify. Yeah, we're on Spotify now. Cool. Very nice. So we're up on the Spotify. We're also uh, carried each and every time by Episcopal Cafe. We love Episcopal Cafe and you will too. Go there for all of your Episcopal Bishop search needs or whatever is <laughs> happening out in the world. You can you can find it on Episcopal Cafe. But uh really want to thank thank you, Greg. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Burl, for joining thank us. Thank you. Delighted to and, be here. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And thanks for the fun conversation, everybody. And keep those colors popped.